to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Pflugerville. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat. Beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but I love experimenting on my own as well. Like right now, I'm experimenting with my idea of a cell phone that allows you to text smells to your friends. Emojis for your nose. I call them smellogies. <laughs> Imagine being able to text your friend a picture of your pizza that actually smells like pepperoni. So far, I've only been successful in texting a meal smell to a cell phone when that meal is a cell phone. But don't worry, I'm not gonna let that stop me. And as soon as I've perfected smell-OG technology, one of the first items I'll be smell texting will be today's invention. Doritos. You know what Doritos are, right? Crunchy, spicy triangles covered in neon orange powder. Doritos are one of America's favorite things to crunch and munch. They're so popular, you see them everywhere, except in nature. I mean, you never see a Dorito tree or a Dorito bush, do you? That's because Doritos aren't grown, they're made. And before anything can be made, it has to be invented. So today, we're going to be talking about the story of this crispy invention, a story that starts in the 1960s in California at an amusement park called Disneyland. Whoa. Back then in Disneyland, in the heart of Frontierland, right by the Jungle Cruise, a company called Frito-Lay opened a restaurant named Casa de Fritos, meaning House of Little Fried Things, where they sold Mexican food to visitors from all over the world. Now, like many Mexican restaurants, Casa de Fritos would take day-old tortillas that were stale and destined for the trash and fry them up and turn them into tortilla chips. Since these chips were basically trash, Casa de Fritos just gave them away for free to all their customers. But you see, Back in the 1960s, American cuisine wasn't as advanced as it is today. Back then, many Americans hadn't tried food from anywhere outside of America. This meant that for many Disney visitors, this was the first time eating a tortilla chip. And they loved them! These chips were soon one of the most popular foods in Disneyland. One of the many people who couldn't get enough of these chips was a man named Arch West. Arch loved these salty treats so much, he convinced Frito-Lay to take these chips out of the park and start selling them in stores across America. Frito-Lay liked the idea, but before they could go national, the chips needed a name that people would remember. So Arch combined the Spanish word for gold, oro, with Edo from Frito, and added a D in the front because, well, because he thought Dorito sounded cool. And you know what? It worked. 
When Doritos were released nationwide in 1966, they were the first tortilla chip ever sold in stores across the United States. And people loved them. Now, to be clear, these weren't the Doritos we know today. They were just a standard salted tortilla chip. But then West had another idea. Let's make them taste like a taco. Now, this was a crazy thought back then. You see, up until that time, foods had the flavor they had, and that was that. If you wanted the taste of an apple or a fish, you had to use apples and fish. But West had a friend named Lawrence Frank who, while inventing Lowry's seasoned salt, had discovered that you could alter flavors through the use of chemicals. Using this new chemical method, Frito-Lay was soon able to create a taco-flavored chip. These were so successful that they decided to release another flavor as well, nacho cheese. Oh yeah. Invented in 1974, nacho cheese Doritos combined three chemically created flavors, Romano cheese, garlic powder, and salt. The chemicals turned the chips bright orange. This bright orange, cheesy chip quickly became a fan favorite. But Doritos didn't stop with nachos. Today, there have been over 100 different flavors of Doritos, from spicy nacho and cool ranch to late night cheeseburger and Mountain Dew. From sweet to fire, there's a Dorito for everyone. And speaking of fire, check this out. Because Doritos high oil and carb content, they catch fire quickly and easily. So many people use Doritos for kindling when starting a campfire. But uh, don't try that without an adult around. Now, a final word on eating Doritos. They may be tasty, but they aren't healthy. In fact, one of the side effects of Doritos chemical design is that it makes you eat more than you need. So remember, Doritos were invented to be a treat, not be a part of a nutritious meal. So use a little moderation. I mean, after all, it's not like they're flip-flops or tin cans. Hello, one and all. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pick me go, coming to you live from Lucy Wow's barn in Pflugerville. Now, you may know me best as Lucy Wow's sidekick, or you may know me as the inventor of the iFrog, the only phone that translates everything you say into rivets. Ribbit. But don't worry, today I won't be riveting, I'll be podcasting about my favorite subject, invention. You know, inventions are everywhere, and so are inventors. In fact, you might be an inventor yourself and not even know it yet. After all, with the spark of inspiration and the will to never give up, anyone can create something that will change the world. Just like today's inventor, Milton Snavely Hershey. Milton was born in 1857 in the town of Derry, Pennsylvania. Now, Derry may have been a small town, but this was a tough time in America because the country was fighting a civil war, which means a war against itself. The war reached every corner of America, even the small town of Derry. In fact, the war got so close that when Milton was a boy, he could hear cannon fire from the Battle of Gettysburg while sitting inside his home. Yikes! Or at least one of his homes. Milton's family moved a lot, a whole lot. All this moving meant that Milton didn't get a good education. So even though he was smart, there were a lot of things Milton never learned. Fortunately, one of the things he never learned was how to quit. 
Milton would go home and do many things in his life, but quitting was never one of them. After the fourth grade, Milton's mother decided that he should leave school and get a job. So she found him an apprenticeship, which is a job that you do for free in order to learn a skill at a print shop. He thought the work was boring, but he kept at it for two years until he was able to get a new job. And this time, it was with a candy maker. Oh. Now, like me, Milton liked candy. He liked to eat it, and he loved to make it. He could tell right away that he had found what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. Inspired, Milton quickly learned everything he could about the art of candy making, and soon he was making everything. Fudge, peppermints, and his favorite, caramel. Now, you might have noticed I didn't mention Milton making chocolate. That's because at this time, chocolate was a rare luxury item. Only the rich could afford it, and even for them, it was hard to get. So, Milton didn't learn how to make chocolate, yet. When Milton was 19 years old, he borrowed money from his aunt and uncle and opened his own candy shop in Philadelphia. Here, Milton made everything, from candied nuts to ice cream, and of course, caramel. Unfortunately, despite all this variety, his company ran out of money and he had to shut it down. In the face of failure, Milton could have quit, but he didn't. Instead, he moved to Denver, Colorado and got a new job with a revolutionary candy maker who taught him new cutting edge candy techniques, including how to use fresh milk to make the best tasting candy. Once Milton learned all he could, he opened a new candy shop in New York City where, once again, he made all sorts of candy, only this time with new techniques. This shop failed too. You see, the problem was that Milton was so busy making every kind of candy that he wasn't making any of it with the right sort of dedication. Sometimes doing one thing well is better than doing a lot of things just okay. Realizing this, Milton once again started a new candy business, but this time he only made one thing, caramels. And he made it with love. His caramel store was an immediate hit, and soon Milton was making money, lots of it. Before long, he had to open up an entire factory just to meet the demand for his caramel. It had been 17 years since he'd opened his first failed company, but because he hadn't given up, Milton was finally a rich, successful candy king. Wow! In 1893, Milton saw a new German machine that could make chocolate faster than anyone had done it before. Milton was inspired. He believed that with enough of these machines and the new techniques he'd learned using fresh milk, he could make chocolate available and affordable for everyone. He bought the machine on the spot and then spent the next three years creating a new chocolate-making process. He called it the Hershey process, and how it works is still a secret to this day. With the Hershey process perfected, Milton opened the Hershey Chocolate Company. Remembering his earlier failures, the Hershey Company made only one simple product, milk chocolate candy bar. Now, they may have been simple, 
But these bars were delicious. And with his new process and fancy machines, Milton was able to make so many that he could sell them at a low price to everyone. For the first time ever, everyone could afford chocolate. And they didn't just buy it, they loved it. The Hershey Chocolate Company was such a success that Milton had to build the world's first chocolate factory in order to keep up with the demand. But Milton believed that in order for this factory to thrive, his employees would have to be happy. After all, the candy has to be made with love. So Milton didn't just build a factory, he built a community around it with brick houses and green lawns and a park called Hershey Park. He called this town Hershey, Pennsylvania and named its two major streets, Coco and Chocolate Avenue. In honor of this new factory, Milton decided it was time to make a new product. He came up with an idea for small, foil-wrapped pieces of chocolate. He called them Kisses. Nobody is sure why. And they were an immediate hit, and they still are today. In fact, today the Hershey Company, which is the largest chocolate manufacturing plant in the world, produces over 80 million Hershey Kisses each day. Wow! Milton Hershey didn't start out with much more than an idea, but because he never gave up on it, he ended up inventing one of the most popular candies of all time and building an entire town with a chocolate-themed amusement park in the middle of it. It just goes to show, sometimes an idea as small as a kiss is enough to change the world. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Pflugerville. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's psychic is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. Luckily, I've mastered the art of the power nap, which means I still have time for projects of my own, like... <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> power nap! Where was I? Oh, right, my special side project. This podcast dedicated to my favorite subject, invention. You know, people invent all sorts of things, from mechanical pygmy goats who play music out of their butts, to tin cans that mechanical pygmy goats who play music out of their butts eat for lunch, to new ways to welcome in a season, like today's invention. The Pumpkin Spice Latte. The Pumpkin Spice Latte is a drink made with a mix of autumn spice flavors, cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove that is only served in fall. People all over the world wait three-fourths of the year for it to show up. For these people, the Pumpkin Spice Latte has become a part of their autumn season tradition. But why? How did this flavor become the flavor of autumn? Well. It started with pumpkins. Pumpkins have always been one of the most popular symbols of fall, the time of year when these fruits are harvested. From table centerpieces to carved jack-o'-lanterns, these orange dudes are just great to use for decoration. But though they are now thought of as the spooky symbol of American Halloween, pumpkins got their start in Central America. Long before Starbucks, Native Americans were growing them and eating their seeds. These natives were the original masters of getting fall flavors from the big orange globes. 
pumpkin was most likely served at the first Thanksgiving feast celebrated by the Native Americans and the pilgrims in 1621, but not in latte form. We can't be sure, but most likely they stewed the pumpkins, scooped out the seeds, then filled the hollowed out shell with milk, honey, and spices, and then baked it in the hot ashes. Mmm, yum! So that's the pumpkin part. But what about the spices? Well, the earliest known autumn spice on record dates back to England in 1675. It used pepper, cloves, nutmeg, and cinnamon. When the spice blend came over to America, it quickly was added to Native American pumpkin preparation and became part of the American baking tradition. So as you can see, the spicy flavor of pumpkin pie is as old school as it comes. But that's the thing about the old school. It often makes a comeback. In 2003, Starbucks was looking for something that tasted like an autumn day. Because why not? In the course of their research, their development team started pouring espresso shots on top of pumpkin pies. It tasted pretty good. So they began experimenting with different combinations of pumpkin coffee and spice until they found the perfect recipe that tasted just like October morning feels. Now, it was called the pumpkin spice latte, but that didn't mean the bright orange gourd was actually used in the recipe. The original pumpkin sauce didn't contain any pumpkin. It was just a blend of seasonal spices, including cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, and cloves. The drink's warm fall color was thanks to caramel coloring. Pumpkin or not, the final recipe was tested in Vancouver and Washington, DC, and immediately became so popular that they ran out. The rest is history. The pumpkin spice latte is now one of the most popular seasonal drinks ever created, with world sales of around 424 million. Wow! And since its introduction, tons of other companies have created pumpkin spice-inspired products as well, including pumpkin spice M&Ms. But there's some weird stuff too. Some of the strangest pumpkin spice products to ever be created include pumpkin spice deodorant, pumpkin spice dog shampoo, and pumpkin spice spam. Ooh, on the other hand, pumpkin spice deodorant does sound tasty. Oh, and don't worry about our orange friend. In 2015, with brands moving away from artificial colors and flavors, Starbucks followed suit and finally added pumpkin to the pumpkin spice latte. Now, the truth is, while pumpkin spice latte and spam may have been invented in this century, it's important to remember that the flavor isn't new. Here in America and around the world, every time we take a warm sip of our seasonal latte or dig into our bag of pumpkin spice candy, we're just enjoying the same thing that the Native Americans were enjoying before there even was a place called America and a colorful fruit that tastes like a new school year beginning. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Kapow's Power of Invention podcast. Come back tomorrow when I'll be covering more inventors and inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? It's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat Kapow. Hey, that's me. Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger. Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner. I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. Uh, keep on the lights, folks. 
Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or little old me, send it to kapow at gokidgo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Kapow signing off. Go, kid, go! Go, kid, go. 